Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we've talked a lot about the local church over these past couple of weeks, but we're going to talk today about the big C church, the global church, because as a local church, we are a part of the big C global church. And this is how all of us together continue to be effective, not just here locally in the Quad Cities, but literally all over the world. But the question I think that we have to ask ourselves is what is a disciple of Jesus' role in the global church and how can that perspective of being a small part of something much bigger than ourselves, how can that give us focused purpose? Because the cost we are willing to pay for our faith hinges on the worth that we place on Christ. That's what it boils down to. It doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter what freedoms of religion you may experience because we understand that there's varying degrees of freedom of religion all over the world. But the thing that will determine what we're willing to pay for our faith, it hinges on the worth that we place on Christ. Every one of us in our homes, we have certain things that may be valuable, important. Like if someone asks you the question, like if there was like an emergency, say there's a fire or there's a tornado or there's something, you've got to evacuate, you've got to get out, and you only have time to get like one thing out of your house, your family's safe, and you only have like one thing to run in and grab. What is that thing that you would run in and grab? And then like why? I'll tell you what it is for me. I would run in without question. I already know what it is. I would run in and grab my basketball card collection from when I was a teenager because I have a whole book of cards that is all of one player, my favorite basketball player of all time, Reggie Miller, all right? And I've got so many different Reggie Miller cards. And if if I were to lose that, oh man, oh, that would just, I can't think about it. Getting emotional. I go in and I get that thing, man. That represents the labor of a 13 and 14-year-old kid. Man, many trades to get that collection. But every one of us have something that we say, this is valuable to me and, it, and it's important to me. And that's kind of relative, right? Because if you had some basketball cards, you'd be like, man, that's not important. This other thing is more important. Or you might think it's silly that I think that thing is important, right? And I may think it's silly the thing you would go in and go after that you would think was important. But at the end of the day, the cost of what I'm willing to actually pay, what I'm actually willing to do, man, it hinges on what I say Christ is worth in my life. How far am I willing to go for the cause of Christ? Some people, it's costing them their very lives. Man, you guys know that uh, Pastor Barry and Teresa Brown, Mike Walker and myself, we just got back a few weeks ago from going overseas to India. And we got to hear varying stories uh, of different degrees of persecution that people were experiencing. We spent time with a family who left Ukraine where they had pastored a church and they were there for many, many years leading this church and were uh, Ukraine natives and they had to leave because of the war. And now they're kind of you know, displaced, figuring out what is their next step. And so they're experiencing an extreme degree of persecution 
um, over their freedoms and things like that. And so it's becoming very difficult for them to minister. And then we talked to people in India where some people, they were being put in jail over doing something as simple as handing out information about the gospel on a printed card. I found that very interesting that like literally them handing those things out cost this guy nine months of his freedom just for simply passing out literature. And because in India, it's not illegal to be a Christian, but it is illegal to try to convert. And so this person was accused of trying to convert other people. And so that's what got him put in jail. And then as soon as he got out, the very next day, as soon as he gets out of jail, he goes right back to doing what got him in jail in the first place. Like, man, after going to jail, I've never been to jail before. Like, maybe some of you guys have been in jail before and you know what that's like. But man, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that experience is like. But wow, to be in that type of place and then the very next day, like that, that that's what you're doing. And that's a passion for Christ. A, a, a person who sees Christ in that way, man, they value and they love Jesus so much. And I'm seeing the book of Acts, like lived out with my brothers and sisters in India. And man, it just, it, it moved me. And, and I've been telling people, like, if you let me go to India, like I'll go right now, like Barry can finish this sermon. I'll go get on a plane right now. And I just, I love the people and I, I love that country. And it's just, God did something special in my heart on that trip, seeing the value and the worth that people placed on Christ. I remember when I was preaching a sermon in a church there, um, in India, one of the, one of the cool things that happened was at the end, you know, my sermon and I'm preaching with an interpreter, uh, at the end of my sermon, I said, okay, everyone let's pray. And then my interpreter, he looked at me and he said, okay, he said, pray. I don't interpret prayers. He said, because you're not talking to them, you're talking to him. And I was like, okay. And so I started praying and you know, like in the U S when we pray, it's like somebody prays and everyone else just kind of is silent. You may be praying to your, you know, to God yourself quietly, but the person who's leading the prayer is kind of the, the loud one and everyone else is quieter. Um, in this particular church, man, everyone just starts praying at the same time. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, and it's so cool to me to think God is so mighty and so powerful that he's hearing all of these prayers in these different languages, these different tongues. He's hearing these prayers and he's listening and he cares about every single one of those requests and he leans in when we're praying and all these people praying. I thought, wow, this is a beautiful picture of the global church, the big C church. And it takes me out of my small little Bettendorf, you know, uh, comfy bubble mindset. And I think, wow, God is so much bigger than what I know and what I see every day and what I experience. He's so much bigger. And there are people out there that are paying a dear price just for sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. But all of us, really, there's a cost attached to serving Jesus. Because Jesus said we can't serve him without there being a cost. There's, there's not one of us that gets exempt from this. Now, we may not experience the degree of persecution as our Ukraine brothers and sisters or those who were thrown in jail in India or various other places all over the world. But at the same time, there's still a cost. And this type of passion is the type of passion we must have towards Jesus that places great value upon him. Because the value of Christ must outweigh everything else that would have our attention and our devotion. Amen? <clears throat> Otherwise, we are responsible if we do not place this high value on Christ. 
We are responsible for diluting the message of the gospel, not just for our lives only, but to the next generation. Let's go over to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, Jesus talks explicitly about this exact thing. Luke 14, excuse me, in verse 12. Jesus said, uh, he said also to the band who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." And so here's Jesus, he's giving this example, talking about go out here and don't just reach those people who are around you, but go outside, even to those that you see there's big needs around you. Be aware of those things and compel those people to come. And when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And I think this is interesting because this guy's like trying to chime into the, to the conversation. He's trying to let Jesus know, oh, I get it, Jesus. And he's also probably trying to let Jesus know, oh, I'm doing those things. You know, he's kind of confident in it. He's kind of chiming in there with, man, I, he's, he's the guy who really wishes his buddy from work or his wife was there hearing Jesus, right? Like, cause somebody else needs to hear what Jesus is saying because I've got it. I know no one in here does that. <clears throat> it's, it's people at other churches, but not here, right? And we all do this to where we'll say, oh, I've got this, and I really wish someone else was here to hear this because I feel confident in this. I feel like this is kind of where this guy was, who's saying, oh, blessed, blessed is the one who, who will eat bread in the kingdom of God because Jesus responds with this story, and he says this in verse 16. Jesus, this is Jesus' response to the man's comment. A man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many, and that the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So there was a man who gave this banquet, right? And there's invitations. Everyone's RSVP'd for the banquet. And now the banquet's ready. It's time for the banquet to happen. So he sends a servant. He says, go tell everybody it's time. Like the, it, it, it's time to actually have the banquet. Let them know. And then here's what scripture says happened. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, well, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. So his excuse was, I bought some land and I need to go look at it because that's what you do when you buy land. You got to go look at it, right? And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Okay, so please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. Oh, this, this, this one kind of sounds a little legit. Like, I cannot come. So the servant came and reported all these things to the master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. He said, go get All the people who would normally not have come, who didn't normally get the invite, go get them. And he went and got them. And he says, listen, those that we saw with all these obvious needs that we went out and reached and invited, they came and there's still room. Verse 23, and the master said to the servant, 
go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all he has, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Man, reading this and thinking about the value of Christ, it is convicting because it makes me think, how much value have I placed on Christ? Am I the guy sitting at the table with Jesus when Jesus is trying to teach something that I go, yeah, I've got that. I feel pretty good about myself because of what I've done and what I do. And I feel pretty good about that. So yeah, blessed is everybody who does this. Kind of like me. <laughs> and then Jesus all of a sudden begins to unpack the value that I placed on him by showing me this story about how all these people were invited. And then people began to prioritize different things in their lives. Oh, I appreciate the invite to the banquet, sir. I, even though I RSVP'd, you know, I, but something came up, you know, land, you know, oxen, marriage. You get that one, right? Like you may, yeah, like even the guy who gets married, right? Like he looks at the oxen and the land guy and he's like, yeah, those guys, those excuses aren't very good, but I've got a legitimate excuse. And we make all of these excuses to why we prioritize our lives the way that we do. And we make all these excuses and all these empty promises where we say, oh yeah, I'll come, Jesus. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll do this. And then something else comes up. And now all of a sudden, our, 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 our moment of invitation now has turned into a moment where we're giving in to other things. And then Jesus says, that unless you take up your cross and follow me, he says, you don't understand the worth of me. You don't understand the value. You don't understand who I am and what I've done. And because you've placed a, a, a different priority on me than you have other things or other situations, he said, you, you, you're, you're not going to be welcome to the banquet. That's, that's heavy. And Jesus says to his servant, go find people who understand the value. People who understand the value, like those who are marginalized in society. Those who are blind, those who are poor, those who get it, those who want to be invited, those, those who, who would love to come. And well, there's still room. We've done that. And he says, okay, well, then go out and, like, to, to the most remote places outside of your comfort zone and, and let those people know they're welcome. Let them come because maybe they'll see the worth of being able to sit at my banquet. Maybe they'll understand the value system of heaven. But those who make these big promises, these big commitments, man, I don't know how many times I've done things like that. Have you ever done that before? Like you make big promises to Jesus 
Or like you get, you go to like a service or you go to like a conference or some type of, you know, back in the day, like when, when I was younger, we called them revivals. Anybody remember like going to revival weeks or revival service? Man, you want to get hyped up, go to revival or church camp. Like as a teenager, I remember going to church camp, come back like, whoo, I'm all about some Jesus. Devil, look out. My school better look out because I'm going to stand up on the lunchroom table and proclaim the gospel. And you feel like you always have like an organ player accompanying you <laughs> everywhere you go to help hoop you up. I said, you're pumped up about Jesus and you're making all these promises. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study the Bible. I'm gonna, you're pumped up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to fast. I'm going to tell people about you. I'm going to evangelize. And you feel this moment of inspiration. And that moment of inspiration is good. Like that's a good thing. But we all know that stuff gets in the way of that moment of inspiration, right? We know that life begins to happen because what I used to tell young people back when I was a youth pastor, I said, you see, you were immersed in this environment of all the distractions of life being removed and all these people are collectively pursuing God together. And of course, that's going to rub off on you and get you excited. What if that was like normal life where we remove the distractions and we collectively pursue God together? You want to talk about revival, that's revival right there. And we would see people who are prioritizing the things of God over the things of this world. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with buying land. There's nothing wrong with getting married or buying oxen. If that's your thing, you know, I don't know how you buy oxen. I've never done that before. But like, if that's your jam, go for it. But don't let those things get in the way of what Christ has called us to do. Because he still gets the priority, amen? Amen. He gets the priority because he's the most valuable, not those other things. I, persecution is ramping up in America, and where it's ramping up is people are beginning to get ostracized and humiliated and things like that publicly, especially through the avenue of social media. Um, and we're seeing just various things that are challenging what we believe and how we navigate the coming days it's going to be very important because we have to temper all of our comments and our interactions with love and grace. You see, we can't lose that because if we lose love and grace in the middle of talking to people, even those we disagree with, then we're loving them with a different love. And we began to get haughty towards them. And then we separate ourselves into this haughty, arrogant group instead of being people who, like Jesus, love those who were marginalized. Amen. And the, who was patient with them and remembering and anchoring ourselves in the gospel and remembering that Jesus was patient with us. You see, that's this part of discipleship that must anchor us through all of our emotions, especially when we're poked or when someone wants to tell us, you know, what we're thinking or what we believe is wrong. And so we must temper the coming days with grace because we want people to still hear our message, but we still need to be speakers of truth and people who live out truth. And doing that is going to require the body of Christ to be mature. And that's where discipleship comes in. We have to grow as mature believers to be able to engage with people we disagree with and to still be able to allow our side of that drawbridge to be let down so that hopefully they will let their side of the drawbridge down and we can have healthy conversation and invite them to the banquet. Amen? Because we want our cities and our neighbors, we want them to come to Christ, amen? amen? We want to get off 
of the list here in the Quad Cities of being number 15 in the most unchurched post-Christian cities in America. Amen? Amen. It's going to require us to be mature. It's going to require us to grow as disciples because persecution is ramping up and the value that we place on Christ will determine the strength of the global church moving forward and the local church as well. So this is a very interesting question that we must ask ourselves. And this is an examination question. If we were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? When I, when I heard someone pose that question, it really made me think. And I have to, I, I naturally want to say like, yeah, but would there be enough evidence of my life and the fruit of my life to convict me? Because kingdom living is to live in light of eternity with everything that we do. It's to prioritize everything in light of eternity, to place great worth on Christ above everything else, to place such great worth on Christ and the mission that he's called us to, to go into all the world and to make disciples. But we must not miss this. And here's our big idea for the day, that kingdom living comes at a cost. There is a cost associated with kingdom living. For us to think there's not a cost is very naive. There is a cost for you and I. Sometimes it costs us friendships. Sometimes it costs us certain things that we felt we deserved or we were entitled to or we should have. It costs us. All over the world, we see that there is a cost. And that is one thing that the global church shares. But we share it in varying degrees of what that particular cost is. Because some people, it costs them their very lives. Some people, it costs them their comfort. Some people, it costs them being accepted and liked. But whatever the case is and whatever the cost is, are we willing to pay that price because we've died to ourselves and we've placed that much value on Jesus? That's what our brothers and sisters all over the world are facing. Let's go through a few scriptures here, and we're going to go kind of fast. So if you want to keep up, great. If you want to just look at the screen, great. Um, if you want to just write it down, great. Whatever. It's great. Second... <laughs> 2 Timothy 3 and 12, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life. That doesn't mean just people in countries that, that, that don't have religious freedoms. It means everybody. It means here in America, right? If I desire to truly please God and live a godly life, there will be a cost to it. Let's not be naive in that. First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four and verse 12 says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter is encouraging the church to not be surprised when opposition comes up because of your stand for Christ. Don't be surprised as if it's some strange thing. Like, this is what we do. Why is this happening to me? God, I've tried to live for you. I've tried to... And Peter's like, no, stab it. <laughs> like, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when certain people are like, yeah, I can't hang, I can't hang out with you anymore. Or, yeah, I don't, I, I, th this is too strange for me or whatever. Don't be surprised when there's a cost associated with it. Don't be surprised when someone may get angry with you as if some strange thing were happening to you. He said, don't be surprised. Matthew 5 and verse 44. This is Jesus here. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
man, that's a tough one. Because those who would oppose us, those who are against us, you know, we read these things and sometimes it gets, depending on your personality, it gets you like pumped up. You're like, yeah, like I don't be surprised when stuff gets tough. Yeah, so I'm just going to like get really aggressive. And here Jesus says, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, love those people who persecute you. Oh, man. Like, these scriptures are all flowing together, but, but man, i got to remember to temper this, that I'm still supposed to love those who are opposing me, love those who are against me. And here's the crazy part. We're supposed to love them with the same kind of love that we love everyone with. Because it's not a love you and I possess within ourselves. It's that agape love of God that has been shown to us. So it's actually God's love that we're loving people with because we remember and we're anchored and stabilized and founded and grounded in what he did for us. And when I think about that, I remember, wow, if it were not for the grace of God, if it were not for his grace, his goodness, his sovereignty, if it were not for his love towards me, if it were not for the fact that he loved me when I was his enemy, if it were not for his great grace, where would I be? And I need to remind myself of that, lest I get arrogant, even in my pursuit of God, that I temper my perspective and the way I look at other people. So when other people begin to treat me bad, when other people begin to talk bad about me, spread rumors, spread lies, all those things, I go, you know what, that feeling that I feel, man, I feel like that person's an enemy because they feel like they're against me and what they're doing is against me. And it's personal, and it hurts, and I don't like it. And then I remember, I was an enemy of God. Oh, whoa. Scripture says we were once enemies of God. But now, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, this is the gospel, this is the good news, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were far off, disconnected, separated as enemies of God, at the right time, Christ Jesus died on the cross for a sinner like you and me. And when I remember that, it tempers my perspective. And so I need to now exercise that same patience that God exercised towards me. I now need to love with that same kind of love that God showed toward me even towards my enemies, because this is what Jesus said, love those who persecute you. Oh man, that's a hard one to do. That's why we need his strength. Let's read Matthew 5 and verse 10. Matthew 5 and 10. Scripture says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in other words, you're not alone in this. A lot of times when we start enduring trials and persecutions and pressure because of our faith, we begin to feel like we're all alone. And then we're asking the question, we're faced with the question, is this worth it? We're faced with that question because if we're really pursuing God, there's got to be a cost. If we're really wanting to pursue kingdom living, there's a cost. This isn't just something we come and do and check a box. So I did my religious stuff for the week and I, God, you see, I was here. Look, gave an offering. (laughs) Lifted my hand in worship. You like that, don't you, God? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I I didn't, you know, I didn't flip that person the bird when I got cut off in traffic. I prayed for them. I'm doing good. 
Aren't you glad I'm on your team? You know, we think like we're earning all these merit points and merit badges with God by all the good things that we do. And the Apostle Paul said all that stuff is garbage. All that stuff that we think is our trophies and earning favor with God. The only reason you and I can be in right standing with God is not because of what we've done, but but rather because of what Christ has done. And it's Christ alone who's done it. So I don't place my salvation and my security upon what I can accomplish. No, I rest my hope in him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Amen? Amen. I don't trust in anything else, only his precious name. Amen? Because it's on him that my life is built. Everything else around me, as the old song says, is sinking sand. Everything else on Christ, the solid rock I stand. And the worth of Christ shapes my priorities, shapes how I treat other people, shapes how I see others, both saved and lost. It shapes that. And there is suffering all over the world in the name of Jesus that goes far beyond anything that we could understand in America and other free nations. There is hunger, there's need uh, from our brothers and sisters all over the world, and there's much work that's needed to be done, both locally, here in the Quad Cities, and all over the world. And that's where God has called us to show our value that we place on Christ by the way that we treat other people, the way we engage, the way that we try to help others who are in need and compel them to come and sit and eat at the table. And that's one of the main reasons that here at BCC, one of our core pillars is missions. That's why we have a missions pastor on staff, because we want to put a priority on this idea of connecting both locally with other organizations like Youth Hope, which is a fantastic organization. I've been there several times, toured their facilities, met with their directors, seen what good that they're doing for the kingdom of God and how they're impacting people. That's why we partner with them. That's why we serve with them. That's why we get involved with them. That's why we sow and invest financially. That's why we pray for them. That's why we inconvenience ourselves and give our time to them. That's why we're willing to get on airplanes and fly overseas and partner with our other brothers and sisters in Christ who are also doing this great work that we're called to because it's bigger than you and me, amen? And we're syncing up our efforts with those who are placing value on Christ and those who are placing value on living in light of eternity. But there is a cost. And as a part of the global church, we are called to bear one another's burdens. And I want to help temper our perspective today. Because I think sometimes when we understand what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, it it does something in our hearts. It it makes us think, wow, these are real people who are counting the cost and who are saying Christ is valuable to them. And those people who who are persecuted and who give their life for Christ, they're called martyrs. And so here's a definition. The the martyr is a Greek word and it means witness. You heard this word before, a martyr? A lot of you have heard this word before. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing this word. But it means one who chooses to suffer death rather than to deny Jesus Christ or his work. Isn't that a powerful definition? Another definition is one who bears the testimony to the truth of what he has seen or heard or knows as in a witness. Or one who sacrifices something very important to further the kingdom of God. Or one who endures severe or constant suffering for their Christian witness. 
The uh, website Voice of the Martyrs, that organization says that eight people give their lives for the sake of the gospel every single day. That means one person every three hours is giving up their very life for the sake of the gospel somewhere in the world every single day. These are people who have placed great value and great worth on Jesus Christ. And I want to give you a few websites, and you can take a picture of this, write it down, whatever you want to do, but opendoorsusa.org, prisonalert.com, persecution.com. Now, I want you to go look at these websites when you have a moment and read some of these stories. And even on prisonalert.com, I believe uh, the website is, where you can actually go and write letters to pastors and Christians and families of people who are actively in prison for their faith. And so what if you as a brother or sister in Christ, what if you as a family, what if you actually sat down and wanted to temper this worth and value that you've placed on Christ as a family by making it a regular rhythm to maybe once a week you guys sit down and, and you pick someone that you're praying for and you write them a letter or write their family a letter, someone who's actually in prison because of their faith and who may be awaiting a trial that could eventually put them to death and you write a letter to that person's family or if it's able to get to them, to them directly. There's all of those links there that enable you and empower you to do that and that doesn't take anything except a stamp and a little bit of your time. What if you made a commitment to pray for these people? And here's why. Not just to pray for them, not just to ask God to use them where they are, but also to give you perspective of the global church. And for you to have perspective of the value and worth that others around the world are placing on Christ. And maybe the value they're placing on Christ as brothers and sisters will help you to see and make it a reality that there is a cost associated with following Jesus. And that you want to be connected and realize you are a part of this global church. And that there is a cost to kingdom living. Amen, church? And so I want to encourage you to pray for these people Write to them. Make this a part of your rhythm that we understand. We're, we're instructed to do this in Scripture, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for those who are persecuted. And we, in America, we have the benefit and the luxury of not enduring the level of persecution that you would read on these websites. We have, we have that, that, that benefit and that luxury. I, I don't know how long we will have it, but we currently have it. And so while we have it, why don't we leverage it why don't we leverage that luxury so that you and I can actually be a positive influence to those people who are paying the ultimate price? Because right now, you and I aren't facing that. I mean, we're openly celebrating Jesus. We're openly singing songs. I mean, <laughs> you, you can go to a, a big box store and find a Bible in Christian literature that you can purchase and if you buy and purchase that, no one's going to throw you in jail over purchasing that. You can openly do that. No one had to smuggle that Bible into our country. But when you look at Open Doors USA, they're literally smuggling Bibles into other countries and people are risking their very lives just to make sure someone has a Bible or even parts of a Bible. They, they get very, very creative with their Bible smuggling efforts. We need to temper our perspective with that because you're a part of that if you're a part of this global church. Amen. And we need to make sure that the same value that they're placing on Christ, that you and I place on Christ, and that it's more than lip service. And then we ask ourselves, what is the value that my family places on Christ? What is the value that I as an individual am placing on Christ? 
because the cost we're willing to pay for our faith, man, it hinges on the worth that we put on Christ. How valuable is Christ to us? Is he valuable enough to us that when the master calls us, that we're going to come running because we've been waiting? Or are we going to say, no, I'm going to go see about some oxen or some land? No, i got other things going on. When he calls us, when there's opportunity for us to serve, are, are we going to, like those people who were invited, are we going to say no, or are we going to be compelling those to come because we want to be there and we want others to come with us? Where's the value? Where's the priority that we place on Christ? This is a part of us being the global church. And so I want us to do this. We can pray. We can write letters. We can donate to these causes. Uh, maybe I would recommend a version of all three at some level, but we must stand with them. It's going to minister to them and it's going to temper our perspective in our hearts. Let's band together this week as a church to take those three websites Let's band together. Let's take those websites. And, 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 and why don't we together as a church, why don't we find maybe a story that God just it grabs our heart and we want to pray for them and we make it our aim and our focus. Maybe set a reminder on your phone to pray for them like every day or several times a day. Or maybe make a commitment to encourage their family by writing to them or whatever the case may be. But what if we all did that as a church and it, shaped our perspective and shaped our value of Christ. And we began to really think about all week long the cost of following Jesus. And then we began to ask ourselves, what am I willing to pay? Because kingdom living comes at a cost, not just overseas, but comes as a cost to all who claim Christ. Youth Hope is here today. So maybe on your way out, perhaps today is a day for you to get involved in serving or maybe contributing financially to something outside of what we do here at BCC. Maybe your heart is moved and you're like, oh man, they just need a few more people to help us get the second hour of kids service going and we want to reach families. And so I'll, I'll intentionally inconvenience myself from just getting to sit in a service. I want to go help make that happen so other families and children and, and so I can impact the next generation. Maybe that's the cost that God is putting on your heart. Maybe when you see there's opportunities for us to serve as, as a church, like through our Serve the Cities or going on mission trips just to help shape that perspective, whatever it is. Those things are life-changing, man. And God gives us those opportunities. And there is a cost, but kingdom living comes at a cost. So what I want to ask you today is what is God calling you and your family to sacrifice for the global church, to be a part of this global big C church? Because he's calling us. Is our priority there or is there something else? that's getting in the way that we thought was more important. Or we got inspired, maybe, I'll tell you this, before we dismiss today. We have to be careful. Because in services like this, right? Like you can come to a moment of inspiration or a moment of conviction, right? Maybe there's some of you watching online, sitting at home, you're inspired, you're convicted, you, you feel like you, you want to do something. I, I wanna warn you and remind you and encourage you don't leave this place and get distracted from what you felt God inspiring and leading you and calling you to do because for us to go deeper, we're gonna have to be doers of the word, amen? And so let's not leave the inspiration in this room and get distracted. I know football's on, like I get it, right? Like I, I know that there are things you have planned to do, things you're excited about doing, maybe hanging out with some friends at lunch or maybe 
doing something with your family. Maybe you've got some awesome plans today. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't want you to feel bad about those things. Those, those can be very good things. But don't leave that inspiration here in this room in this moment and you don't do anything about it because you get distracted. Because if we're making commitments in our mind and in our heart and we're saying yes to the RSVP, then when Jesus says, all right, it's time to do this thing, let's not go, oh, well, you know, I mean, after the game or, you know, after this or after that. What are we willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God and what is he calling you to sacrifice? What is he calling you to do? What's he calling BCC to do? And what if we focus on that this week, man? If we grow in that, what if we encourage each other? What if in your small groups, you, you make a decision to sharpen each other and encourage each other this week to do that? What if you and your family, you and your kids, your grandkids, what if you and your neighbors, whatever, maybe somebody even just sitting next to you that's like complete stranger and like, hey, let's do this. Maybe God's calling you. Whatever it is, say yes to that greater thing to impact eternity. So Lord, we give this to you because we want to do this. We want to be able to understand and temper our perspective with the fact that we are a part of the big C global church. Help us as disciples to have our perspective tempered, Lord, that we may be able to endure persecution and suffering and love our enemies well, that we may be able to pray for those who are persecuted, that we can bear one another's burdens, that we can see and have our our perspective enlarged to see that it's bigger than us and help us to be obedient through it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.